Welcome to True Crime Works, a true crime podcast. This is episode 23, The Disappearance of Laureen Ron. Hey everyone, welcome back to True Crime Works. I'm your host, Ash, and this week's episode, episode 23, is another disappeared case. This case is on the disappearance of Laureen Ron, and it's another one of those cases with a lot of twists and turns and possible theories, which we will definitely get into later. There are no announcements this week, so let's just get right into the case. Laureen was born Laureen and Ron, and she was born on the 3rd of April, 1966. She lived in Manchester, New Hampshire, with her mother in an apartment. She shared a third-floor apartment with her mother, and she was a student at Parkside Junior High School. And she was known to be a good student. She made pretty good grades and also had a lot of friends. Her mom's name was Judith, and Judith had a boyfriend at the time, and he was a professional tennis player. So he and Judith went out of town for a tennis tournament in April of 1980, when Laureen was about 14 years old. Like many 14-year-olds, Laureen was pretty excited about having the house to herself. This was also spring break. So she, of course, decided to have some friends over. On the evening of April 26, 1980, she had a male and a female friend over. And they spent some time hanging out together at the apartment, and they were drinking beer and wine together also. Later that evening, the boy thought he heard some voices in the hallway, and he got kind of scared because he thought Judith was actually home, and of course she would not want him there, so he decided to leave through the back door in order to avoid getting in trouble with her. He later stated that he heard Laureen lock the door behind him. Judith didn't arrive home until midnight that night, and that's when she noticed something odd. She noticed the light bulbs in the hallway on all three floors of the apartment building were unscrewed, so that left everything dark, which was really odd. Her own apartment's front door was unlocked. Judith immediately decided to check on her daughter, and she thought she saw her in her bed. However, the next morning, she discovered that it was not Lorraine, but it was her friend that came over, the girl. Lorraine was nowhere to be found. Her clothes and her sneakers were all on the living room floor, and the back door was open. The female friend said that she'd seen her sleeping on the couch, and that's the last that she saw her. The police thought that maybe Lorraine was a runaway. Judith didn't think that this was the case because she didn't think her daughter could be a runaway, and also because she left behind her clothes and purse. Eventually, the police began to reconsider what happened. They also thought that maybe she left the apartment but intended to return home within a short time because she didn't take anything with her, especially her purse, which is pretty important. Nothing really happened with the case until October 1st, 1980. And this is when Judith found she had been charged for three phone calls placed in California. And she knew that she did not know anyone there. And she never had any ties to the area either. So it was strange to her. 
Two of the calls were placed from a motel in Santa Monica, California, and the other was from a motel in Santa Ana, California. And that was actually made to a teen sexual assistance hotline. The detectives would speak to the doctor who maintained the hotline, and he said that he had no idea anything about the call. But five years later, in 1985, he changed his story. He said that a lot of young women and some runaways occasionally visited his wife at their home, and one of them may have been Ron. He also said that someone named Annie Sprinkle, who was a sex educator and former pornographic actress who did know his wife, might have information regarding Lorraine's disappearance and the other runaway girls. However, the police were unable to find any evidence that linked Sprinkle to the disappearance. During the year of 1981, Judith claimed to have received many phone calls from an unknown person, and it was always around 3.45 a.m. She said that she never spoke to the person, but the calls continued for several years, and they would only change after she changed her phone number several years later. Judith would hire a private investigator to visit California in the year 1986, and the investigator was able to locate the motels that the calls had been placed from. But unfortunately, they were unable to recover anything else that was substantial. Also during the year 1986, a friend of Lorraine's named Roger received a phone call from a woman who claimed to be Lori or Lorreen. His mother answered and said that the woman claimed to be her son's former girlfriend. But nothing else would come from this. Now, since she disappeared, there have been some sightings of her, allegedly. In 1981, a family member of Lorraine's claimed to have seen her at a bus terminal in Boston, Massachusetts. But this remains unconfirmed. Another sighting happened, allegedly, in 1988, and a witness claimed to see a prostitute in Anchorage, Alaska, who matched Lorraine's description. Unfortunately, nothing would happen with this case. In the mid-1980s, Judith would remarry and move to Florida. She said that she believed that her daughter did place the phone calls from California in 1980. The unnamed male friend that Lorreen was drinking with at the time of her disappearance sadly died by suicide in 1985. And according to law enforcement, he was never considered a suspect in her disappearance. Investigators do, however, believe that a foul play is involved. Now, there was a case that was very closely related to Lorraine's. Denise Denault, a 25-year-old woman who lived just two blocks for Lorraine, disappeared just six weeks after Lorraine did and was never found. She and Lorraine reportedly resembled each other, even though that they had quite a big age difference. But it's never been proven one way or the other if their disappearances were connected or not. But that's really suspicious and really strange and sad at the same time. Sadly, no one really knows what happened to Lorraine. Some people think that she is dead and suspect foul play was involved, and others think that she could still be alive still. 
Family members are torn whether they believe that she is still alive or not. Many don't want to believe that she could not still be alive. Her mother, Judith, believes that she is still alive. She said that the phone calls are evidence of that. There is an article where she discussed her daughter's disappearance. She said that she had been consulting many psychics and praying for the return of her only child. She said that none of the psychics told her that her daughter passed away. And she also had mother's instinct that she did not pass away. And she did say, quote, I say my prayers faithfully, and I trust the Lord that he's going to bring her home back to me, end quote. Lorraine would be 55 years old right now. There was one of those age progression drawings done in 2012 that showed her at the age of 46, what she would be thought to look like. She was 14 years old when she went missing, 5 feet 4 inches tall, 90 pounds. She was wearing a white v-neck sweater, a blue plaid blouse, blue jeans, brown shoes, and some jewelry. She had brown hair and blue eyes and a scar on her upper leg, which resulted from a fall onto broken glass. Now, I talked about Denise Denault a little earlier and how she only lived two blocks from Laureen and went missing six weeks after she did. It wasn't until decades later that police suspected that a serial killer named Terry Rasmussen was involved in her disappearance. Terry was a serial killer who killed at least six people across the span of decades and all over the United States. One of his aliases was Bob Evans, like the restaurant. He later pleaded guilty to murdering his wife in 2003, and then he died in 2010. They believe that he was involved in as many as five or more murders and disappearances, and they believe that he was involved in Denise's disappearance. He was actually dating Denise during this time under the name Bob Evans. And they believe that Rasmussen killed Denise somewhere in California, although her remains have never been found. She was not reported missing at the time, and her family thought that she just left town for financial reasons. Rasmussen also murdered his biological daughter. Now, he's kind of unlike other serial killers because he actually targeted people that he was really close with. And a lot of them don't target. They just target strangers mostly. But he targeted those that he has had a relationship with. So it's kind of maybe unlikely that he had anything to do with Laureen's disappearance because he wasn't connected to her in any way. But it is strange that these things happen so close together. In 2020, the New Hampshire Senior Assistant Attorney General, Jeff... So this is actually one of those cases that don't really have any suspects or any theories. Some people think that she went out for a minute, thought she was going to come back, and she kind of met some foul play going outside or something like that. Maybe someone took advantage of her and they saw her in a bad situation and just decided to do something bad there. That's probably a likely theory, but still no one knows who could have done that. 
It's also so strange how the light bulbs were unscrewed on all three floors of the apartment building that Lorraine was living in with her mother. That just doesn't make any sense to me. And then the suicide was really strange also, but that could have just been from grief or something unrelated. The phone calls, now that's a really strange thing. Because if they did come from her, what happened to her and why was she in California? Did someone take her against her will? Was she forced to do things that she didn't want to do? No one knows. After all this time, there's still no answers as to what happened to her. And it's completely heartbreaking for the family that they still have to go through this and they can still hold out hope, but there's no answers for them and just no closure whatsoever. Lorian's been missing since 1980. In the year 2010, the police received a tip that Lorraine was seen somewhere in Massachusetts. They would, however, discover that the individual was not her and it was a false sighting. In April of 2020, which was 40 years after her disappearance, an article came out in a Manchester newspaper, and it was titled, 40 Years After Disappearance, Family Holds Out Hope for Lorreen. And her aunt, Jo Beth Swanson, kind of goes over the case and talks about everything that's happened since. And in the end of the article, she said that she hoped an article about her niece, if she was alive, would let her know that family members haven't forgotten about her and they still think about her often even after 40 years and I think that's a really nice statement this is just a completely sad case and it's really sad that there's no updates or suspects or anything like that but maybe one day her family will get the closure that they need well I hope you enjoyed this episode of true crime works some of these disappeared cases are really, really interesting because, like I said, there's just no answers, just more questions sometimes. And I know I have a lot of questions about this one, and unfortunately, we will never know the answer to them. If you have any ideas for upcoming cases, you can email me, truecrimeworks at gmail.com, and you can also send me a message on Instagram and be sure to follow me. It's at truecrimeworks. And with that being said, I look forward to talking to you next week.